Hello and welcome to CPP Chat, an increasingly weekly look at what's going on in the world of C++, chatting with guests from the community. Now this week we recorded live at CPPCon with Andre Alexandrescu and Herb Satter in front of an audience of thousands, if not dozens. Unfortunately, there were some issues with the mics, especially right at the start, but bear with us, it gets much better after a couple of minutes, and I hope you'll agree that this chat is definitely worth persisting for. So now I'll hand over to John in the live recording. Uh, we have a couple of really exciting guests to have, and so I'm going to start right here with Andre and ask you about the keynote. But before I ask about the keynote, I want to talk to you about the, uh, uh, the workshop. Then tell us a little bit about the workshop that you did pre-conference. So for those of you who, um, uh, who don't know, there's, uh, we've, we've had this um, triple E workshop uh, terminology uh, proposed by John Lakers, uh, Engage, Entertain, Educate. Uh, and it was inspired by actually one of uh, John's um, co-workers at Bloomberg, Paul Williams, who after, um, uh, while being at a conference, he said, well, it would be great if there were um, uh, a talk on how to give a talk. And so it's a sort of a meta. And uh, that came... Um, about because there's uh, there's a lot of very good engineers, uh, including in this room. By the way, I meant to introduce. Uh, I meant to. I meant to say this as an introduction. Thank you for being here. It's like it's 8 a.m. I, I thought it was going to be like three people. We might as well be the only software engineers awake and dressed at the, in this time zone right now. Okay. <laughs> I'd l- Thank I'd you like very to point much out for uh, for the non-video audience that there are thousands of people in this room. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, thousands of people and the billions and billions of online watchers are going to be <laughs> later. Um, so um, <clears throat> uh, Paul came with this idea. You know, Bloomberg and, you know, um, uh, and many other companies and organizations, they have these uh, excellent software engineers. They have a lot of good things to share. And uh, they have difficult, they, they, they're not public speakers. They, maybe they're first-time speakers, but maybe they're not very experienced. And it would be very nice to have some sort of a meta talk. So, uh, of course, because I was there, I said, I'll do it. And uh, so I went to Bloomberg. I prepared material and I went to Bloomberg and I taught uh, this uh, workshop. It was half a day workshop uh, on how to give a talk. And um, uh, I went to Bloomberg in London and New York. They loved it. And then uh, I forgot who came. I think it was Scott Myers who came later with the idea, let's do this for CPPCon because same reasons. There's a lot of great engineers and, you know, delivering the material could be done uh, more effective with, uh, with the tools we can teach. So Scott, uh, Kate and I uh, taught this last year. Uh, Scottson's retired, and he said, "You know, you guys, you guys got to look for somebody else. And who else could be better than John uh, John Lakers as a as a speaker who can go through like 360 slides a minute?" <laughs> um, so we uh, we got uh, John, and we taught this uh, this course uh, this workshop uh, on Sunday, and it was terrific. We've uh, we've had uh, 23 um, 23 people who are like just the right, right amount. We had like uh, everybody spoke, and then we destroyed them. Everybody destroyed them. Now sit down like a facilitator, kind of on occasion. Eh, you know that's not good. Don't put your hands in your pocket or whatever, right? <clears throat> So it, it went very nice, and I believe uh, we've got uh, we've got terrific f- feedback. And many of uh, those uh, people who who've been in the workshop, uh, they actually have given already or are about to give talks at this conference. And uh, those who already did, they uh, you know I, I've been in a couple. They they did notice a, a marked improvement in uh, in their delivery. So I would recommend this class to anyone who uh, who wants to be better at uh, public speaking. I think uh, there's a lot of uh, subtleties to it. And a lot of things that uh, you only learn from experience or from by being by being in such a such a workshop. 
So, you know, um, you should come, let your coworkers know about it, and uh, let's, hope, uh, let's hope to have it next year as well. I'm definitely going to hold you to that. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, actually, uh, one of the, uh, the people who attended your, your course is actually co-hosting a podcast right now. <laughs> there you go. I actually attended uh, this year and last year. I've done it twice. It was so good. Uh, and I would highly recommend it to anyone that, uh, that's considering doing that. Did you... Did you get something out of the second one as well? It wasn't just oh, yeah, yeah. for fun. It was you got yeah some things that I'd missed from the previous year and some things were new, and it's always good to be reminded as well. And I haven't yet attended it except that I did was able to give a, a five minute talk and, and I got destroyed. It was great um, as last year, but I have heard from multiple people last year and this year already saying that they are speakers at the conference the same year and that going to that has improved their talk that year where they had given it better than they would have otherwise, including when they had given the talk before and people liked it, and now they saw, oh, I can do this and this and this better and then put it into practice in the same conference. So thank you for helping the whole conference be better. Yeah, um, I, I haven't really gotten a lot of feedback from this year, but I remember from last year a particular speaker who spoke Monday right after. Um, he sent an email. I, he listed like nine or ten specific things that he did, and he said it gave him great confidence, and he was absolutely certain that it was a better, better performance. So, uh, yeah, I'm a big believer in the workshop, and we'll continue to, to, to do that. John, you use an interesting word, too, and I, I've heard the same from some other trainers, like uh, I think you may know J.C. Van Winkle, um, who's also a longtime trainer from the Netherlands, and, and he first used this word explicitly in a, a few years ago to me, and I, it really resonated with me, and you just used it again. It is a performance. Oh, giving, yeah. a, giving a talk is a performance. Yeah. There's rehearsal, or there, at least there'd better be, and, there's, and it's structured, and it's prepared, it's scripted, but the, they're scripted or ad-libbed, but you have a plan, and you are performing while you're conveying education. So I like the triple E uh, approach to it. That's a good summary of what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things I think about is that as programmers, and, and I love this because, uh, you know, if, if we're writing something and there's a mistake in the middle, it's fine, we go into the middle and change it. You can't do that at a performance. You know, you're playing a piece or acting something, and you're like, oh, there's a problem. I should have done that better. You can't just go back and redo that, right? But as programmers, we have that luxury. But giving a talk, it's a real-time performance, and, and you know, rhythm and pacing and all these kinds of things are an important part of that. And you don't get to go back later and say, well, I shouldn't have made that comment. Let's take that out. Unless Phil is recording it, and then he can fix it all in post. Once you say something, it's out there. Yeah, right. And, and it is just like a stage play. You get to fix it the next night. That's right. The next time you give it. And then you'll just basically make other mistakes, and you'll continue to be improving it. Right. I think a, um, a sort of a, a key uh, turning point, at least for me, was to... Uh, switch from a view, I'm giving my talk on X at the event Y. And yeah, and I'm going to give my talk on X at another event Z. Uh, seeing it as uh, the same talk repeated in different environments, I thought, no, this is event X and it has its own thing. And it's its performance. I actually don't, don't even copy the slides. I just, you know, take the slides and redo them for the new event. So I'm like, you know, this is going to be event X. And this is going to be event Y. And they're going to turn out completely different depending on a, a variety of factors. So each, uh, each talk you're giving is a performance in the same way that uh, at scale, of course, uh, Queen would not play. Would, 
Queen would not render their music the same at the, every concert. The, it would be like uh, it's a live performance for real with real instruments, real like microphones and stuff. They would render their music live. Uh, kind of each, each concert is going to be a bit different, and that that's what's great about Queen. They wouldn't say, "Oh yeah, we're playing our you know our piece like that," and you know maybe we use like uh, dubbing and stuff. No, never. So each each performance is different, and you should regard it as its own entity as opposed to yeah, I'm giving my talk. And then, by the way, after your talk, you should be like half dead. <laughs> I'm not kidding. So it, you should be drained. You should be like it. You know, you can't do a mercenary job. Like, yeah, I gave my talk on X, and then I went to another talk. And do you think your talk has changed anybody's life? If you if you consider it a, a, a pause in your day, if you consider, yeah, okay, so I've done this, I've eaten, and then I went to this other talk, and it was a good day. No, after a talk, you should be half dead in your hotel room. That's that's the rule. So I, I've spoken with a lot of a lot of speakers right after they've given their talk, and I can tell you universally, they all feel the same way, which is, well, it could have done better, it could have gone better, but I'm really glad it's over. <laughs> and that is a universal feeling. So speaking of talks, let's talk about your keynote. Um. What about it? <laughs> <laughs> did you feel half dead afterwards? I did, yes, definitely. Um, I think it went well, and I think I got uh, excellent, um, like an excellent vibe from from the crowd and the community. Um, it's been um, it's been a difficult talk to prepare because I I wanted to uh, to convey it's it's uh, probably the the largest range of uh, topics I've covered because I cover from like micro-optimization all the way to this is why we can't have nice things. So it's a, it's a very wide range of, uh, of topics in the same talk, and it's very difficult to navigate them all and still keep, make sense of everything, kind of keep, keep an arc that carries the talk through. So uh, I think it went well, and I think um, I hope uh, it influences things, because uh, as I said in, in, uh, in the ending, I think if we all sit here and we're like, oh, these algorithms rotate, this is awesome, we're, this is so good. We can't make progress. Progress comes when there's a free radical. <laughs> <laughs> Just bringing, like, a stirring things up and say, well, wait a second, with the tools we've got, like, you know, consider Stepanov back in the, you know, back in the day. He, he did try. There's this interview with him, and, you know, there's a, a lot of lore about Stepanov by now. It's kind of uh, the sacred texts by Stepanov. So he gave this interview, and he said, well, you know, I was trying to implement STL in OOP. Object oriented program. He tried with Ada. He tried with Lisp. He tried a number of languages and <clears throat> approaches. And kind of virtuals came like wrong, like a sore thumb. They would get kind of everywhere and not doing anything interesting to him. That he they were not addressing what he wanted to do at all. So he tried with virtuals and classes inheritance. Like these tools are not what I need. And similarly for the kinds of things that I want to do, such as. Let's implement the, the sort of the you know twenty one century sort, sorting algorithm or any algorithm. Let's implement the real deal, the real algorithm for the twenty first century that's going to understand, adapt, and imp, you know improve itself for you know all data shapes, types, and uh, predicates that you have. So you, once you want to do that, you you find that these tools are not good for you, just the same as virtuals were not good for Stepanov. So then you say, well, what are the tools that we need? And want to have, and that's where the introspection uh, bit comes in. So you want you want to be able to carry information and a good understanding from the user side who's calling the who's calling. Well, I want to sort, sort these things. 
and you want to carry that information all the way to the sort algorithms, which is going to make many and important decisions, but many, this is the point, many, many important decisions about how to strategize the sorting process, depending on a variety of things. <clears throat> this is the thing, it's not like concepts, it's not one thing. It's a variety of things, the combination, you know, the size of the, of, of the, of the data type, the, you know, the, the cost of copying them, the cost of moving them, the cost of swapping them, uh, the predicate complexity, how, how difficult, is, how, many, how many cycles is the predicate? You know, is it an expensive predicate? Is it, if it's very expensive, you don't even want to do unguarded because the comparison is going to, one extra comparison is going to be very significant. So there's a bunch of uh, decision, decisions that the sort algorithm needs to make depending on characteristics of the inputs. And these characteristics need to be introspected. And this is the, the, this is the key to the next century. I think it's, it's that uh, this ability to endlessly customize software depending on the data types and the, you know, the, the characteristics of, of the functions and the, the types are being passed in. And by the way, there's one more thing I wanted to add. I need to apologize uh, you know, to, to the public here and to like the billions of people who are going to watch this later. I, um, I did not uh, date for 15 years. I'm out of the loop. Okay? So I made a mention to a dating uh, application in my talk, and people are like, eh, that's not really appropriate. That's not really nice. And I thought it's, a, it's, a, uh, I thought it's an honorable thing to mention. So it's, ah, that shouldn't be bad to mention because, like, you know, the, back in the day, there were a number of dating sites, and most of them were honorable. So I made this mention, and people are like, ah, you know, Andre, that's, uh, I didn't like that. So apologies about that. I have no idea. I thought it's honorable. So, again, I'm out of the loop. I'm not, I don't know what I'm saying. So Andre discovers what Tinder is. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> We, we, we understand, we understand. But, but what, the, what you just uh, said, though... One, one quick comment, mm -hmm. and that is that that keynote is already live on YouTube. Yes. I, I give, uh, and the title was Allegro... I changed the titles. Oh, you changed the titles. Right. So right now, Speed is in the mind of people. Speed is in the mind of people. Right. All right. So that's what they should look Which for. Which, of okay. course, got misinterpreted as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that never even occurred to me. All right. <laughs> Yes. All right. Back to what I was originally going to say, the, the actual technical point you were making. So uh, a very wise person back last December, I think it was, at Meeting C++, gave a keynote on the next big thing. Do you remember who that was? That was me. Yeah, that was you. And you were making the same point you're making now, which is that uh, reflection, you call it introspection. There are many kind of synonyms for it, but in particular the ability to reflect on your source code and to inject or generate. Sometimes people use the word reflection to mean just the one direction, but you want both of them. You made the point is key to you know, the next generation of software languages. I, I totally agree. That's what MetaClasses, which was, has been pushing reflection and generation with a use case. Here's what you can do with them. One thing of many that you can do with them for a number of years now. There is nothing more important to our next several decades of software engineering. It is going to affect not just the way we write code, as you've already found in D and in C++, but it's going to affect the way we design programming languages. Because the programming languages that we design that are come new in the next 10, 20 years are, if the popular ones, are going to heavily leverage that. And it is going to affect the kind of language they are. And also the divide as to where 
the language ends and the library begins. We can start moving back more toward building libraries because we have more expressive languages. And I think that's a really important thing. I'm just curious, for those of you who are here in the studio audience, how many of you have used or know about or are excited by ifconstexpr? Oh, lots of hands. Okay. I have news for you. If constexpr is absolutely great, it lets you customize algorithms, you don't write overloads, you say if constexpr implementation one, else fallback implementation, and even more things besides that. Ain't it wonderful? Do you, do you like if constexpr? Yeah. yeah. You know where it came from? From D, static if. And it's similar to that. There are differences. But the, the, <laughs> I, I have the mic and say there are differences, but, <laughs> but to, to me, and we've talked about this lately, to me, both if constexpr and dstatic if are ops going to be obsoleted. They are just 0.1 steps toward, uh, there are very special purpose and narrow features that are subsumed by a more general model of introspection, being able to reflect and generate code. Turns out when you have that, you're not going to need either uh, if uh, const expert or static if, because they're subsumed by the more general thing. So it's great that we have that language feature for now, but we, we already have its granddaddy coming to, to, to replace it. And that's a very exciting thing. That's not going to be happening in the next few months, but in the next few years and influencing the next few decades of programming language design, including in C++, I think is an extremely exciting thing. And it, this does apply to C++. This isn't just about, oh, some future new other languages will do something differently that, and we don't get the new toys. We already have if constexpr. We are going to get reflection and generation. And these are very important things that we will get in our favorite language. But so will broadly the industry, I'm convinced. And I think that's a very important thing. It is of the same magnitude as the O revolution and the still ongoing uh, move to concurrency and parallelism. In fact, it will help with some of those same things. Thank you. Just, just for context, um, you should know that... Um, so I, I'm, I'm going to raise some, some stink here, okay? <laughs> so this is like, it's, it's going to turn down. The, the, the morning is going to turn down. So um, just to give you some context, um, first, uh, Phil was very uh, kind to invite me alone for this interview. Uh, and he uh, pointed me to the uh, last year's interview with Herb, uh, which I watched very, uh, very, very well done. Uh, but I thought I'm too much plutonium. <laughs> so I need a bit of graphite <laughs> to moderate, right? So you know, I, I thought yeah, I'd be too uh, too much too um, uh, intense. So I would need uh, Herb, who's like, I don't think I know uh, personally any one one person who is uh, who is such a such a wonderful mix of technical person and people person that, that Herb is. And you know, actually, I said, oh, you know, you should uh, bring Herb, uh, my friend Herb, uh, to the interview. And then I thought I sent the email to Phil, and then I thought, wait a second, does Herb consider me his friend? <laughs> because Herb is like, because really, I, Herb is the Keanu Reeves of C++. Like every people, you know, people see Herb like on the street in Seattle. It's like, oh yeah, he's my friend Herb. <laughs> Because, you know, I'm taking this mic away from you. This is getting embarrassing. <laughs> you know, some people have even started dressing like him. <laughs> it, it, it's actually funny. More than one person at this conference has already told me because they were wearing a Hawaiian shirt, somebody came up to them and said, hello, Herb. <laughs> oh, that's really good. Notice that.
I don't always wear Hawaiian shirts. Often on camera, it's easy to, to thread a to thread a, um, a microphone through, which which makes it uh, convenient. But uh, but thank you for inviting me along on your CPP chat. I'm not giving this back to you yet. <laughs> so um, you you seem to have a lot of insight in, in the, where C plus plus is going. You should give a talk on that. Oh yeah. They, There'll be something on Friday. Okay. What can you tease us about? I don't, I don't want you to give the outline or the... Well, the, the abstract's already published. Well, sure, so sure. Um, the, the large part of it, so about 75% of the talk will be a, a, an incrementally updated version of a talk I gave at ACCU about my proposal 709 on lightweight exception handling. Mm-hmm. It'll talk about motivation, the why, as well as the what and the how. And, but I'll have updates there as to what's been happening since ACCU, including at the committee meeting in Cologne, where it reached the evolution working group for, uh, proper for the first time, which is like where you really get the design, the, the rubber hits the road design feedback. And it was just a first view. It's a, a multi-year process, but I'll share updates to that. But also I'm adding uh, a part where I'll talk about RTTI. Because that is the, there are basically the only, the only two features that every C++ compiler has a switch to turn off tells you something. Like people are voting with their feet. They already have voted for their, with their feet. They're gone. They're not even in the room in the building anymore. It's like we're just, put, look, those compiler switches they left. That's the evidence that they were once here. But now we have a fractured community. So uh, I'll also just start off with just some all-up view of what really could be, or perhaps should be, C++'s evolution priorities. But again, to be clear, I I do chair the committee, but I'm not speaking in that capacity. I'm just speaking as as my personal opinion. I have to make that clear all the time, because people often assume I speak for the committee, and I'm I'm not doing that in this keynote. Uh, Where I report committee results, I'll try to be very clear about, okay, this is what the committee thinks, and here are the straw polls, um, but this is my own personal view, which is no better or worse than anybody else's in the committee, and it's a, one of many proposals in progress in the committee. Anyone with any interaction in the committee knows that it does not think with a single mind, and no one person is speaking for it. Many people don't have that interaction in committee, and they do think that there's yeah. a monolith, or there's a, a spokesperson, but, I'm, but, but we don't have a Moses or an Aaron. So Everyone in the committee just does whatever Herb tells them to do, right? There are, there's no independent thinking, it's just their marching orders, right? <laughs> what a beautiful world. <laughs> So, long-time listeners to this podcast, I've expressed my opinion about this, uh, what, you're, what you referred to as lightweight exceptions before. I think that um, it, is, it is just an incredibly exciting feature. And the reason is for exactly what you've, the way you've said it, it's, it's going to bring the, the community together. I mean, we now have this situation where for, uh, for the, a huge number of use cases, the current exceptions is, is perfectly fine. It's a great way of handling errors and all that. But there's a few situations where it's just a little bit too heavyweight. And so, because, because some people legitimately have to opt out, anyone who wants to write a library that can be used by everyone has to say, well, the vast majority of my people should, or my users should be using this kind of error message or error handling. But there are some people who can't. And so I'm forced in a situation, do I follow do I, do I follow standard practice and, and use exceptions, or do I allow something else? And it just it divides the community. There's like, and, and, and it even, I think there's a lot of fear and uncertainty about exceptions. So people who really should be using them also feel like, well, I, no, I'm part of this little group over here. 
And, and one thing I found is that I was really happy to, to find, and you'll see in the straw polls, that in general, the committee, including the part that I thought might be the most resistant to change, yeah. generally th- agrees that this is a problem worth solving. It's not unanimously, mm-hmm. but it, it is very important when you've been working on a language for quite a while, mm-hmm. and you're aware of what it was intended to do and the, the, the vision... It is, it is very important to be able to take the reality check of it's not working out the way I thought. And it's not just people doing it wrong. Oh, well, you're just doing it wrong. Try harder. Or, oh, well, the implementers didn't try hard enough. Like, they, they should just make the implementations more efficient. It's important and it's sometimes difficult to get over that because you, you have a, a beautiful feature the thing that it helps with that, I think, is recognizing that if you have a beautiful feature, sometimes you don't actually have to change the user interface very much. Just say, by the way, there's a, a simpler way to implement it. And if we can do that with very minimal change to the user fa- interface, admits a better implementation, then we still have that same try-catch that we love that separates error handling from regular control flow, automatic propagation, all those beautiful things. Allows for brilliant... But, just- but without the parts that are holding us back from from using that. And you have a talk later today with a horrible, horrible title. I say that because it's beautiful and I wish I'd thought of it. <laughs> it, it is... And it, this is, hard, this is hard to say clearly. <laughs> it is the dawn of a new error. For those of you in the room, that's at, that's at two o'clock. And um, just want to point out, it's very complementary to the material that Herb's going to present. It sort of follows on more more deeply to the uh, supporting proposals, but also a bit of the historical context, because I trace it back to some ideas that Andre actually introduced to the community some years ago. And I'll highlight you see the talk to find out what that is. So one of the things that I, um, that, that you touch on as part of your proposal, it's not the heart of it, it's, it's kind of the follow-on, um, is something that I had a discussion with, with uh, I think they would probably rather I not actually mention any names here, but there were a couple of people who were very well respected in the C++ community now working on Swift. And one of the things that they said was the assumption from the beginning with Swift was that running out of memory was not recoverable. Because in practice, and you know, I, I, I'm not an operating system, but someone told me that um, in, uh, in, in Linux, if the, if the system can't can't, when you malloc memory, if it's completely out, there's no swap spaces, you're completely out of memory, it will still not return a, a failure. It will return an address that when you try to access, it is a failure. And, and essentially, that means that if you're in that kind of environment, you really can't recover. If you're out of memory, you're, you're toast. And so that was the assumption they meant, they, they went with, with, with Swift. It's an underlying assumption. So, you know, there are other kinds of errors, obviously, we recover from, but if you're out of memory, we we assume you can't recover. You've driven your machine completely into the ground, and it's an unrecoverable situation. And that so simplifies. And that's, I mean, I could read it in their faces, although they were both saying it at the same time. It's like, that made just everything is easier to deal with. It's such a wonderful assumption to be able to make. But in, in C++, we've always said, well, what if you were in this, you know, what if you weren't in that? So what if you were in a low memory situation where you could run out of memory and you need to somehow be able to recover from that, at least it's theoretically possible? I don't know how many users are in that. I don't know what kind of environment that is. But supporting those users, I mean, C++ is about the language for everything, right? I mean, you can, 
You can do low-level stuff. You can do big stuff. You can, yes. So I, it's, I, it's I re- tough. I remember in the in the um, the Swift documentation page that talks about this, mm-hmm. um, and I remember the the phrase I think verbatim is C aspires to handle out of memory. Right. Which is true. Which is true. And I remember talking with the person who wrote that page, uh-huh. uh, who isn't one of the former C++ authors, the, the main ones like Dave Abrahams and Doug mm-hmm. Greger and, and those smart folks mm-hmm. um, who have been doing a, a great job working on the Swift design and implementation as well. Uh, we miss them. You're a welcome lot. back anytime. Um, is, but, you know, they're, they're breaking new ground there, which is always interesting. It floats the entire programming language community. Uh, but one of the things that it's important, I think, to be and you see this happening in Swift, you see it happening in Go, you see it happening in Rust, and you see it happening in C++, is that there are like two or three specific points on what do we do about exceptions out of memory uh, and how to handle uh, whether at the call side of an exception you can see it in your source code or not, where the whole world is gradually converging. It's, it's, it's a slow motion thing, but it's where they're gradually converging. Um, in particular, so for out of memory, for example, the the systems that take the take the view that no no out of memory is not recoverable are seeing pressure from their developers to say but what do we do sometimes if it is because in C++ out of memory or a allocation failure is the better general way to say it because not every allocation failure is out of memory so sometimes we say um as a shorthand but the intent is to talk about allocation failure many allocation failures are perfectly recoverable if I'm getting, a, I'm asking for a buffer of a million, and I don't get it, that does not mean I can't continue executing normal code anymore. It doesn't mean I've exhausted the abstract machine. I may be able to recover from that by asking for a buffer half the size, and you know, and fall back. So some of those are true. But if I can't allocate an int, like if new int, honest to goodness, fails, I'm in serious trouble. I probably can't even call my destructors to unwind to report the error. Never mind. Like there's just probably no point. Um, so I have some interesting things to report about that tomorrow with, on the slides that I'm, that I'm continuing to create and tweak, which will stop happening about three minutes before the talk. <laughs> but th- these ones already exist, and I'm talking about the reaction in Cologne. But we, we can talk more about exceptions then, but I think it's interesting that uh, as far as error handling goes, which is probably the most fundamental thing in any programming language, like you can learn a lot from about any programming language by looking at how they handle errors. You'll learn a lot in your first five, 15 minutes looking at any new programming language um, and how they're converging. So one of the other parts of the proposal, for example, is try expressions, which are totally unreasonable in C++ today because almost everything can throw. And there's just it would just be littering to put try on every possible statement. Right? That, that, that would not be worthwhile. If we could someday make most functions not throw, then it would be worthwhile. But Swift did that. They have try expressions, basically, which I'm also proposing as optional for now, but we could maybe make them mandatory someday in the future when most things don't throw, if, if we ever get to that point. But Go is going through the same thing. So Go right now has no way to automatically propagate. So they have sort of the result of T kind of model, where they basically, you're in this world of if error, return error, if error, return error, you're doing this all over the place. Yeah, yeah. And so they're also exploring the idea of basically a try expression. Uh, they don't call it, the proposal there last time I looked wasn't try, I think it was check or something like that. Uh, there was another word, I've forgotten what it is exactly. But it's basically the same thing, which basically means, please propagate this automatically for me. And it ends up in exactly the same place as Swift has ended up and as where I'm proposing ending up for this, where you have a keyword that says this might throw. 
and you get automatic propagation and you um, and you get a visible trail through your source code. You can see where the possible exceptional points are so you can reason about your control flow paths through your code. And it's interesting because they each came at it from a different direction. Some already had the visible error propagation, but they wanted it to be automatic. Some already had the automatic error propagation, but wanted it to be visible. That's us. Um, so that's, it's interesting to see that convergence. And that's one example. That with try expressions, out-of-memory handling, and that exceptions are a really good model but should be thrown by value, multiple major languages are doing all three of those things, and they're all moving in that general direction, which is a, a good sign, I think, for programming languages in general. Well, all programming languages are ultimately trying to solve the same problem. They're just accepting different trade-offs for the different approaches, so it doesn't surprise that they're going to get to the same place in some way. I'll know that the micro microphone was taken away from me and the discussion drifted. The topic was changed as soon as I said I'm too intense. <laughs> <laughs> I would like, though, to monomaniacally uh, return to the same topic, which was uh, introspection and, and such. And uh, I, have to ha I have to say I very strongly disagree with Herb on, on a number of ta tactical issues. Um, who here uses the if statement? <laughs> Who believes the if statement is niche? No, leave the hand down, please. <laughs> Who here would use, instead of if, a construct that requires you to use two more keywords and add an extra scope? <laughs> but it's more general. Uh, leave the hand down. <laughs> there should be a unanimity here. So my point here being... Uh, static if is the unit of introspection. At the same very way, if is the unit of control flow. You wouldn't write code without if. You wouldn't write code like it's, it's a requirement for Turing completeness. You've got to have some web. So if is like the, there's no page of, there's no five lines of code without an if. Right? So there should not be a movement to replace if with a much more difficult construct that is, uh, that somebody creates an argument that it's a bit more general. There should not be this. this shouldn't, it doesn't happen because it would be stupid. Right? It doesn't happen because it would not deserve to happen. Right? By the same very token, static if is the unit of introspection-based design. It is the fundamental building block. My code has a static if with the same frequency as if. There's, there's no code I can look at without some static if in my eyes. Give me a second. You've had a microphone. <laughs> so this, this whole notion, uh, and also I've been in uh, Andrew Sutton's talks about uh, introspection stuff, is like they had the contest, who can do this the, in the most complicated way, and he won. <laughs> it's, too com it's too damn complicated. Like template if now? What's template for? What was that? Template for? All that nonsense. All of these complicated ways of doing something very simple. You do want to have the basic blocks of introspection the same very way you have the basic blocks of control flow. You need to have a simple way to test something and do something. So that would be static if. Not if context. Where that's really poorly copied. It's, it's just, it introduces that scope. It's just not useful. So you've got to have the basic unit of introspection, which is static if. If this is true, then insert this code. Otherwise, insert that other code, if you wish. 
And that there's no, there's no ifs and buts about it. And I know uh, C++ leaders are smart people. I know, I know they, they want the best for the, commu the larger community, right? So they got to do this. There's, in my mind, there's no negotiation here that's even possible. Oh, yeah, we, we don't want if in C++. We've we got to replace it with a much more complicated construct. Who would, you know, who would vote for that? Nobody. And then you've you got to have a simple way to iterate things uh, during compilation. And insert code, again, there should be no scope created. And just, you know, insert that code. These are the basic building blocks. And then, yes, we have escape into static mode, do a lot of crazy uh, stuff, and then escape back, generate code, inject, you know, the, the injection thing, and all the good things. But these are like, yeah, these are very nice to have, but you got to have the basic blocks. You, you wouldn't design a language without, without if. You wouldn't design an introspection-based language without static if. So this is like, this, this, is the, this is why I wanted you in this room, so you understand this. <laughs> We've been talking about this for the past month, so I, so I, I think I, I fully understand where you're coming from. I, I, I hope that you understand that I actually mostly agree with you, and that I think that you actually do need simple generality, not, an, not one narrow feature. You want a number of features, but you wouldn't want the basic, to not have the basics. Right. And so I, I think that, first of all, I think that the people in this room are, are, I expect at least some might be bemused because they don't have the context to understand what you, what you were probably talking about. But, uh, but I, I do. And I do appreciate that the talks that, that Andrew has given already today, he has disclaimed, are showing a placeholder syntax. He has called out places where there's like seven reification operators and there probably ought to be only one. So I think we're actually in violent agreement about many of these things. Um, and some of them are in the context of, okay, how do we add some of these features to an existing complex language? So that's partly a constraint. But I think there are also other options to, that we can explore. But I also understand that a lot of what's going on now in compile time introspection, in generation, are demonstrating the possibilities, demonstrating what is possible in the context of C++, but they are very early, Andrew disclaims that as well, and that they are subject to refinement, and as we discover what they are and what the keys are, they, there will be a, a cleanup phase, and I've, I've promised you that. Um, having said that, oh, having said that, it, it is not a reasonable argument to say that all you need is if and for... No. Because I have heard, I I've heard, I've, I've heard a very smart person say, in, at least to me privately, that well, really, you only need compile time if and compile time for loops. Those are the only ones. Well, static if and static for each, like in D. You don't need anything else because, like, you don't need static switch. You don't need static uh, other things. They're nice to have, but my first question to you is, would be with these extra complicated features you have, how do I do static if? And if, if it's anything more difficult than writing a uh, uh, runtime if, then we've lost. I understand. And so just to be clear, in D, what is called static if is what in the current reflection and generation proposals for C++ is called constival if. I'll spot you a few characters. It's the same number of words, but it's, but it's more general. But it's but it's more general because it's not context per if. It's it's not a constival if. It is constival anything, which means it's a general form of constival 
any code, which means I get switch, I get for, I get all the other things, I get the whole language, not just if. Then do I need to inject, could write some other operator to inject code by hand, or it just comes? Well, then it's very explicit. Here's const eval where you start executing this code at compile time. And in there, if you want to do injection, yes, you write one glyph or arrow for injection. And that is more general than what you have. And I think that's probably as deep as we can go without a whiteboard. It's, and it's, don't point out that there's a whiteboard over there. Well, it's also as far as we can go because we're out of time. Oh, we right, need. Yeah, we're just getting started. <laughs> so... Um, Part two of this same talk will happen next year at CPPCon. <laughs> um, our tradition to end the, uh, uh, end the show is to wish everyone uh, safe coding. So for the thousands of people in this room and the millions of, uh, millions, billions of people who are watching, uh, watching online, uh, from all of us, we wish you a safe coding. Thank you very much. Safe coding.